Have you ever been to a city, a new city that is, by yourself? Uh, perhaps it was a business trip or vacation. If you were like me, you probably had a nagging feeling that there was more. When I go to a new city, I want to go to all the best restaurants, all the best things to do. Uh, and, and like me, you probably had that feeling of, I want to experience it all. Now imagine if you had gone to that city with a local. How much different your experience would be. I remember when I moved to Boone, North Carolina to attend App State. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, I saw all these amazing hikes that people were doing. And so I was like, I've got to do these. I want to go on all these fun hikes. And, but when I got there, I went on a few hikes. And I'm like, these are lame. And you know why? I, I didn't know the local trails. But as I began to meet people, and I began to meet some of the locals and make friends, I began to experience all that the city had to offer. What I want to do today is I believe the cross is not just a salvation story. I believe what was done to Jesus was done for me. And I believe there's blessings and things that he offers in the cross. And what I want to do is be your tour guide almost and walk through what Jesus went through and show you what you as a follower of Christ have access to. Sound good? I call today's message for me. Uh, and that's simply because what happened to Jesus didn't just happen to him. It was done for me. Let me say it like this. As we walk out the journey of life, we all begin to thirst for something more. It's a thirst for more purpose, more fulfillment, and more peace. You see, Grace Church, since the ancient times, God has made promises to his people that he would quench that thirst. And those same promises that he made long ago are available to us today in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite places uh, where we see the God, promises of God put in one place, and probably the first place uh, happens with this guy named Moses. Who knows who Moses is? He's the guy that built the ark. Um, just kidding. He floated down the Nile, but not in an ark, in a basket. <laughs> uh, but the children of Israel, they, had, they were under Egyptian captivity, uh, and they had been crying out to God, saying, God, send us help. We, we want to be out of slavery. The Egyptians are oppressing us. And so God raised one man named Moses up. In the midst of their slavery, while they were still in bondage, God sent him to them, and he gave them promises. I love how God speaks in the midst of chaos what is to come. And this is what we find in Exodus 6. Exodus 6, this is why they're in captivity. Moses says on behalf of God, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, first promise, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. Verse 7 says, And I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. If you're like me, the first time I read this, I just read right over it and didn't think anything of it. But, but to the Jewish people, then and today, this Exodus 6, 6 through 7 is a very, very significant section of Scripture, so much so that they created a holiday around it called Passover. And what they do to celebrate these promises at each Passover meal is they actually get four cups of wine. And for each promise, I'll tell you what the promises mean in a moment, but for each promise, what they do is they take a sip of the wine to seal the promise over their life. So the promises that these were so significant, they call them the four I wills, the four I wills, God is saying, I will do this in your life. The first promise 
is the cup of sanctification or the promise of sanctification. If you're a note taker, just write this, salvation. The first thing God spoke to a people who were oppressed and under Egyptian captivity is, I am going to save you. The Bible says, I will bring you out. And what I love about this is that the first thing that God wants to do in people's life is not, hey, read your Bible. It's not come to church. It's, it's not do a bunch of good things. The first thing God shows us, and, and by the way, these are available to us in Christ Jesus, the first thing he wants to do in your life is bring salvation. The Bible says it like this. It's by faith we are saved, not by works. And the first thing God wants to do in your life, are those good things to read and, and to come to church? Absolutely. But God wants to make it clear. The first thing, he does all the work. We just have to respond in faith. So the first thing God says is, I will bring you out. You see, we were born in, we, were not, we don't have Egyptian captives, but we are born in sin and death. We were born into slavery. And so God, the first thing he wants to do is set us free and make us sons and daughters. The second thing, the second promise is the cup of deliverance. It's freedom. The first promise is, I will bring you out. The second promise is, I will free you. You might be saying, Jonathan, aren't those the same thing? No, they're not. The first promise, God says, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. But the thing is, the people had grown up under Egyptian captivity for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so all they knew was how to live as slaves. So God had to take them out of Egypt, but then he had to take Egypt out of them. He had to teach them how to live as free people. The same is true with us. The first promise, God says, guess what, church? I'm going to do all the work. Respond in faith. Hey, but now you've got a little bit of work to do. Now, there, there's, there's sin habits. All you know is how to live as a slave. I want to teach you how to live as a son and daughter. So, I'm going to bring freedom to your life. The third promise is the cup of redemption. I like to think of it like this. Think of Chip and Joanna Gaines. JoJo, anybody? Who knows about JoJo, Chip and Joanna? What do they do? They go into a house and they restore it back to its original purpose. As you walk with God and first of all have a relationship with Him, God always wanted you to have a robust, intimate relationship. And second is bring freedom. The third thing is God says, I'm going to give you a purpose. 87% of Christians in America are walking around saying, God, what is my purpose? God made promises in ancient times and still today. I'm going to tell you why you are here what you were created for. And the fourth promise, the first three promises are all I wills and you as an individual. But the fourth promise, God says, and you will be my people. He lumps us together. You see, life was always meant to be done together. You were created to be in community. So God wants to walk you through this. And maybe an appropriate question at this point would be, where are you on this journey? What is it that God wants to do in your life? Is it salvation? Is it freedom? Is it purpose? Is it getting in community? My express intention today is to be your tour guide and simply show you how Jesus purchased these on the cross and how we have access to them through him. Let me say it like this. Just as God sent one man named Moses some 3,500 years ago to set the nation of Israel free, so God has sent one name, man named Jesus some 2,000 years ago to set all of humanity free and give them promises for those who would believe in him. Amen? You see, on the cross, 
Jesus purchased more than eternal salvation. He purchased us the right to live a vibrant, robust, intimate relationship with him. And so what I want to do with the time we have left is just walk through the Passion Week and show you how Jesus purchased these on the cross. So Passion Week is the week where Easter happens. It starts the Sunday before with Palm Sunday. On this day, Jesus enters Jerusalem and the people proclaim... People proclaim, Hosanna, Hosanna. It's a proclamation of, of, of who he is, but also of change coming. Then Monday comes, and uh, Jesus throws vendors out of the uh, temple. Tuesday, Jesus confronts hypocrites. Wednesday, Judas betrays Jesus to the, to the religious leaders. Then Thursday comes. What happens on Thursday? Jesus has the Last Supper. And I'm a little bit of a nerd. <laughs> I like history documentaries. I like Some of you may appreciate this, but... But Jesus himself on Thursday night at the Last Supper actually participated in sealing these promises. He himself walked through these four cups. Isn't that cool? You might not see this if you were to read one of the Gospels. But when you put all the Gospels together, it's called the Harmony of the Gospel. And it tells a complete picture. And Jesus himself actually participated in these four promises. Isn't that cool? But the thing is, tradition has it that there were actually five cups. They might be saying, hold on, Jonathan, what? I thought there was four cups. Why is there a fifth cup? The fifth cup, traditionally, people would not drink. You know why? Because it represents God's wrath. The fifth cup, no, I wouldn't want to drink that. They wouldn't want to drink that. But, but what we see is that Jesus himself came to drink the cup of wrath. Jeremiah says this about the cup of wrath. It says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand this cup filled with wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. So Jesus, Thursday night, has the Last Supper. He drinks the four cups, the four promises. And then he says this line. He says, Matthew 26, 29. He says, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus has the four promises. He seals them. And then he says this line, which without this context may not make a lot of sense. But he says, I will not drink of the vine again. But then a few verses later in Matthew 26, 39, he says this. Going on a little far, farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. What is Jesus talking about? He says, I'm not going to drink of the vine, but then he says, God, if this cup may be taken away from me. You see, Jesus had, had he, he participated in the four cups, but he had one cup left, but this was not a cup of wine. This was a cup of wrath that he had to drink, which would be on the cross. So, Thursday turns to Friday morning. Jesus is telling his disciples to pray with them, and, and some of you know they're kind of not standing up to par Friday morning turns to 2 a.m., 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. Jesus is brought before six different trials, which, by the way, in both Roman and Jewish law, it was illegal to try somebody at night. And so he's brought before uh, uh, Ananias, Cephas, Sanhedrin, the Jewish trials, and then he's brought before Romans, the Pilate, Herod, and then back to Pilate. Matthew 26, 59 tells us one story about Jesus is brought before him uh, the whole chief of priests and the Sanhedrin. And, and, and the Bible tells us that Jesus was cool as a cucumber. 
he's brought before them and, and they're making these claims of him. He's just saying peaceful. And eventually they say, aren't you the son of God? And he eventually proclaims that he is God. And why this is significant for us today is that as we look at the life and the teachings of Jesus, we cannot say, oh, he was a good teacher. Oh, he was a moral person. We either have to look at his life and say he is a liar and a lunatic or he is God. And what was done on the cross was not just done to him. It was done for me. And there is application out of that for my life. Amen? And what I find interesting is that the time Jesus came. You know, if he were to come today, just think about if we were to put him to death, it would probably be a lethal injection. But Jesus came in a time when the most vile, inhumane, most awful way to die was available, which was on the cross. And Jesus said, that's when I come. That's when I'm going to absorb the wrath of God. Isaiah, 800 years, by the way, America's only over, a little over 200 years, 800 years before Jesus came, said this about this experience. He said, Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. You see, what happened to Jesus did not just happen to him. They were for me. And, and what I want to do is just walk you through each one of these and show you how Jesus purchased these and what they mean for us. The first one, it says, by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. You see, before Jesus is crucified, they flogged him. And, and what this means is, is they took him to an area and they got a cat of nine tails. It's a, they would get a stick about this long. And, you know, if you've ever seen a movie about this, usually you'll see Jesus being whipped and, and they'll just go all the way through, but that's not probably what happened. What they would have done is they would have gotten the leather straps and they would have tied bone and, and rock and, and any kind of sharp, maybe wire or glass. They would have tied this with horse hair or whatever they could get their hands on to the leather. And then they would stick the leather in water. And they would let it sit there until it got really heavy. And then they would get two hands, not just one, and, and they would lodge it into the back of Jesus. And they wouldn't go all the way through. Once it would, had gone into his back, they would, then they would rip it out. They would go down. And, and this was to cause extreme pain. But they would do this 39 times, 13 times across each shoulder blade, and then 13 times down the middle of his back. And, and this had a reason why, which I'll tell you in a little bit, but this would have caused immense pain. Why this is significant for us today is because the whip represents freedom in my body. By his wounds, we are healed. By being whipped, Jesus purchased the legal right for you to pray for healing in your body. By Jesus being whipped, Jesus, he purchased the legal right for you to pray for healing in your body. You might be saying, Jonathan, are you telling me God still heals? Let me say it like this. The great physician has not closed his doors. Come on. <laughs> I remember uh, when I went on my bachelor party. It was crazy. No, I'm just kidding. I was with a bunch of pastors. Um, <laughs> I, I, I remember I uh, had this just excruciating pain in my hand. Like I, we were playing spike ball, and I don't know what happened, but I just got this work. Like you ever had the kind of pain where you just want to sit down and like, uh, like I can't even think, don't talk to me. That's what I felt like. And so a few of my friends, they came and they prayed for me. And I was like, and they said, does it feel better? I said, it feels a little bit better. 
And, and then they, uh, they said, well, let us pray for you again. I'm like, heck yeah, let's do it. And then it, it, it miraculously got better. I'm like, yes, this is amazing. But then a few months ago, I sprained my tailbone. You can laugh. It was awful. Like, I just remember, like, every time I'd sit down, I'd be like, my butt hurts so much. Like, like I, I, did, I went to the doctor. I had my friends pray for me. And guess what? Nothing happened. Like, what the heck? <laughs> Why? Jesus purchased a legal right for us to pray for healing in our body. But here's the thing is he is a great physician and I am not. And we've been given the authority to pray for healing, but ultimately God is the one who heals. Amen? And, and so I'm going to let him be God, and I'm going to be his son. And, and I do know that when we die and go to heaven, for those in Christ Jesus, we're all going to be healed. But, but for now, my responsibility is to pray for healing. I've been given the legal right. You might be saying, Jonathan, well, is that the appropriate application by his wounds we are healed? Yes, there's spiritual healing and other things. But many places in the Bible, it shows us by Jesus being beaten, we have the right to pray for healing. One particular place, uh, Jesus is, is healing people, and he says this line. He says, Matthew 8, 17 says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. The second thing they did to Jesus is something they normally don't do. In Matthew 27, 27, it says they took him to the praetorium. And, and what this is, is basically the Romans' guard's locker room. And they did this because the Romans were a little bit more mad at Jesus because he had been proclaiming he is the king of the Jews. And they were mad at him because they wanted to be king of Jews. So they took him to the praetorium and they put a purple robe on him. And then they got a, a, a crown of thorns two inches thick with thorns and they impaled it on his head. They shoved it into a skull. And what this would have done, would, would, blood would have run down his face, but medical science would also tell us that this would have put immense pressure on Jesus' mind. This would have caused just extreme pain. Isaiah saw this and said, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Have you ever just laid in bed just with anxiety, rehearsing a situation over and over or, or, or trying to think about what you could have said. What, what part of your mind, when you don't have peace, cannot sit still? It's your mind. That's why the Bible says the punishment that brought us peace was on him. Let me say it like this. The thorns represent freedom in my mind. I think I'm speaking to somebody today probably had some situations going on where you're just full of anxiety. And what I want to tell you is that in Jesus, you have the le legal right to have peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, he says, peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he Trust in you. Peace, Grace Church. This was not just done to Jesus. It was done for me. It had a purpose. It had to be done. After Jesus had been beaten to the point of not even looking like a human anymore and unable to carry his cross, they brought him to a hillside. And the Bible says that th three nails went into him. Uh, one would have been in his legs. His legs would have been crossed. And... And the other would have been in his hand. And if you've ever seen a picture, 
you know, usually they put a, a hole right there. But Romans consider your hand from your elbow to your fingertips. And if they would have put the nail right there, his hand probably would have ripped out and it just would have caused awfulness and they would have had to tie him back up there. So what they probably did is they probably put it in his wrist in between like ligaments and his bones. And this would have held him up there. And they would have put him at a little bit of a bend in his knees. And the purpose of this is, is he would have to, for every breath, push against those nails. And his back had been beaten to just rawness. And he would have to push against a rugged, uh, splintery cross. And this would have been immense pain. So why did this happen? It's because hands and feet, they represent everywhere you've been. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. The nails, they represent freedom in my hands. Too many people walk around, they've given their life to Jesus, but they're walking around like victims full of shame. And what I want to tell you today, Grace Church, is you cannot live a victim mentality while being victorious in Jesus. Jesus died so that you would have a pure and a shameless life. He died so that he was pierced for our transgressions. Hebrews 8.12 says, he remembers your sin no more. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I was playing tennis against my garage, um, trying to be like Roger Federer or perhaps Ryan Peterson, trying to hit it against that. And my parents also have a big glass window above the garage. Um, and I remember this one time I was trying to hit it really hard, and I hit the window. And what happened? It shattered. <laughs> it like cracked. And, and I'm thankful my parents love Jesus, so I could be here with you today and they didn't kill me. Um, <laughs> but... And they forgave me in time, (laughs) but they didn't forget, nor did I. And to be honest with you, I I probably played tennis at that spot like one more time. I was just too afraid. I, I, I never forgot. Our God's love is so extravagant that not only do when we come to him, he forgives us, but the Bible says he forgets it. How incredible is that? Hebrews 9, 14 says he purifies our conscience. That is incredible. Praise God. Finally, the Bible says, about the ninth hour, this would have been three o'clock for us, Jesus had breathed his last breath. And to make sure that he was dead, the Roman guards came up to him with a spear and, and they, under his ribcage they pierced his heart. And the Bible tells us that a liquidy blood came out, a watery. What medical science would tell us is that Jesus was actually dead before they pierced him, that, that he had died from a ruptured heart. So the question today is, how, how did Jesus die? How, how did Jesus die? Was it from blood loss? No. Was it from lack of oxygen? No. Jesus died from a crushed heart. Isaiah says this. He was crushed for our iniquities. The spear, it represents freedom in my heart. I have to ask the question. I wonder if anybody in here has a crushed heart. 
I wonder if anybody in here is going through a heartbreak. Maybe you're going through a divorce or been praying about having kids and unable to or, or perhaps you're worried about losing a job or maybe you're in middle school and, and nobody ever sits with you at lunch so you feel like nobody loves you or, or maybe you're there, whatever the situation's going on in your life. You know, October, Chandler and I, uh, we became pregnant with Hosanna, but um, most people don't know that. Actually, in September, we actually suffered a miscarriage. And so confused as to why God, a good God, would allow this to happen. You know, here we are daydreaming about changing our lifestyle, coming up with names, praying for things. And yet, in the midst of that, here we are serving God, trying to live for Him. And in the midst of that, we suffer a miscarriage. And and so many questions of why could this happen to us? How could this happen? And and church, what what I'm here today is to tell you, I don't fully understand why He allowed that. I don't understand all my questions. But what I do know is that one day I will. But more importantly, I want to tell you that in the midst of the heartbreak, that Jesus is enough. The message of the gospel is beauty from ashes. And I want to let you know that no matter what you've been through, there is hope still available. There is still joy. God died. He was pierced for our transgressions. And you can have peace. You can have the fullness of God. He always intended for you to have an intimate, robust, passionate relationship with you and with him. And no matter where you've been or what you've done, that is still available to you in Christ Jesus. The cross is more than just a salvation story. It was done for me and for this side of heaven. And I, for one, am thankful for that. Amen. Psalms 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So Jesus dying on the cross, He purchased healing in my body, peace in my body, guilt-free lifestyle, and joy is available.